0: Go to the book of Romans, chapter twelve. Last week we talked about we looked at Abraham. It was our church birthday. We looked at just some uh, occurrences in life of Abraham where God uh, just called him to to just trust him. Basically, with some stuff, uh, you know, pack up and pack up your family, everything you own, everything you know, everything that's familiar, and uh, journey to a place that I will show you. And part of that we talked about was basically like let go of of exactly what you thought your life was going to look like and just trust me with it. Um, So we looked at that. We looked at God promising that he and his wife would have a a child, uh, even though they were super old. Uh, We looked at um, when God said, sacrifice your son, and Abraham trusted him and went. Along with that, you know, kind of paralleled. Sometimes in the life of our church, it was, since it was our church birthday, just some things about church planting and just the journey, the kind of weird journey that the Lord's had the ring on for a while, and and just the, a similar struggle of uh, not quite as extreme as Abraham's example, but just times where we had to just trust that the Lord was in it. Uh, we have Megan here tonight who moves to Haiti and just is following the Lord, just like I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, we have a partnership with Nabeen and Matilda in Calcutta where they are, um, have started this rescue home for kids, for homeless kids living at the train station. Um, we have uh, in Mexico just all kinds of things. I give you all kinds of examples of the Lord calling someone to do something and them just stepping out in faith. Uh, I can just name all these examples of, of God looking at one of his kids and saying, I want you to do this with your life, or I want you to do this in this situation or whatever. And that's, that's, where, that's where we are, right? Like we want to be obedient to the sovereign will of God the Father, um, God the Son, God the Spirit, the whole Trinity. We're there. We want to do what they want us to do, right? That is, it sounds really, really good, but sometimes it's really really difficult because you're you kind of get in that spot where you're like okay I'm praying about this but I'm not sure if God's like ignoring me or or if what I think he's leading me to do I can't really tell if that's like his voice or or my voice sounding like his you know like cuz let's face it sometimes our inner monologue can sound a lot like James Earl Jones you know and you're like, well, that's that's pretty pretty strong stuff. And you but you're like, I don't know. What if it's what if it's not him? What if it's just my flesh is like tricking me? You know, what if it's the devil? What if it's what if I'm just like convincing myself to find a way to do something that I want to do with my life, and it's not really His will, but I'm kind of tricking myself into thinking that it is. Uh, how do you know when God's telling you move to Haiti, open up a rescue home for boys, start a, a church? Uh, leave your leave everything you know and go to a land I'm going to show you. How do you know that it's his voice? Confident enough to where you can just pull that trigger, you know. it's It's an important it's an important question. And if you struggle to really, if like I just can't tell if it's him or me, then you're not the only one. We all wrestle with that. Uh, so don't feel like a weirdo because you think everybody else around you like can just just discern his voice so clearly and it's like super like Charlie Brown teacher to you and you just can't really figure out what he's saying. Don't just don't feel alone in that. Okay, um, but in Romans twelve, uh, I, th- I believe that God has is is helping us, just helping us so much, and I don't want this to sound like it's a formula. For discerning the will of God in a situation, but it's it's going to seem like that at times. Okay, so it's not like a formula in the sense of like do this, then do this, do do this, and then you'll know what God's will is. But it's it's really it's more more painting a, a picture of of a of a heart and mind, just this holistic uh, posturing of your life that that allows you to be like perfectly synced up with the Lord to where you know what's going on. Okay? But it's going to seem like steps because we're going to do it in order. Okay, so just kind of throw out the uh, abracadabra tendency of you know how we want to know what the steps are, and just look at this is a life. Okay, this is this is a heart set and a mindset that we're going for. Um, and so I want to I want to just throw out three scenarios. Scenario? <laughs> which which one is it? anybody know? Scenarios? That just doesn't sound right. Three yeah, three of those. Uh, I kind of come back to them. The first one, uh, let's, say that, let's just say that it's um, income tax return season, which it is. And let's say that you got a good return, like a good one. Like uh, Matt Brumfield was my accountant. He got me hooked up. Good return. So you have this check. And you're like, what am I going to do with this? All right? That's one scenario. Uh, the second one would be um, just some sort of, I'm going to leave this in really vague, but like a, a pattern of sin in your life. Could be lying, could be lust, could be gossip, could be gluttony, could be whatever. But just a, like a pattern of sin in your life, and you're, and you're really just trying to figure out how, how to come out of that groove. So you're not trying to discern the will of God, should I continue in the sinful pattern or not. You know, you know that you're not supposed to, but it's like, okay, what does that path look like? The third, third scenario would be um, that, that you're, you're trying to make a major like, life, life-changing decision. All right? So this would be in the category of, like, do I, do I take this job or do I turn this job down? Do I uh, move to a different place? Or, or not? Do I take this job, or this job? Uh, do I change my major to this, or not? Do, uh, is this the person I'm supposed to marry, or are we supposed to break up? Um, are we? Is it time for us to start having kids, or do we need to hold off? Do we need to go from being a two-income family to a one-income family, or do we need to go from a being a one-income family to a two-income family? Uh, do we need to move to a different place? Where in the city, when we look at it, where, where do we need to live? Uh, you know, like big big stuff, alright? And even in the category of Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to do like Megan did? Does God want to bring me abroad to serve uh, on the mission field out somewhere else? Or is my mission field uh, the office where I work in the career that he's called me to here? Um, Just who knows? Who knows? All right? So income tax return, pattern of sin, major life decision. All right? We'll come back to those things. So in Romans 12, uh, probably a familiar passage of Scripture to a lot of you. Uh, Again, please. Don't see this as a formula. Uh, Let's just read these two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable, and perfect? All right. Now the, I think there are there's like four. I don't know, four components here. All right. They're not steps, and they're not ingredients, and not whatever. I'm not really sure how to word it. Like four four big things that, that I see for tonight. I realize you could preach on this text for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Okay. There's a lot to it. For example, when you start off in verse one, I appeal to you, therefore. Uh, means everything I just said. So read 1 through 11 if you want to understand what that means. So that's a lot of sermons right there. Uh, so, uh, so we're just going to not glance past that okay, in the casual way, but we're going to focus in uh, the first kind of component to where it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay? Um, present your body, like that's, an in, that's an intentional act. You don't accidentally present your body as a living sacrifice on an altar. You're not like, hey, what's going on? I'm laying on an altar. Okay, that doesn't really happen by accident. This is an, an intentional thing for us, and Paul is he is urging them in light of everything else that he has said, which is basically like the gospel. Okay, so in light of of the gospel, he's urging them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, uh, that's this is obviously. Bringing up Old Testament imagery, there's a, just so much to the Old Testament sacrificial system, and I, without getting into the intricacies of all of all that stuff, one of the one of the the big uh, like just mental and like I don't know, like I'm not sure how to word this, but like one of the big things it's, it does in your heart in the Old Testament sacrificial system is whatever it is that you are laying on the altar, whether it's a goat, okay. Or the first fruits of the harvest, like grain or whatever, whatever it is that you are bringing and presenting before the Lord, um, you know, all the the different sacrifices had different different aspects of of life and faith and whatever. One thing that's consistent among, across the board for all of them is basically whatever it is you're setting there. A part of what you're saying is okay. This this is not mine. This is yours, God. We know this is any sort of cattle or any animals that we have, or any possessions that we have, it's not ours, it's yours. Um, these crops, these are not ours, these are, are yours. And so we bring, you, we bring you this, and we lay it out there, and we're saying, it's not ours, it's yours, and it's yours to do uh, to do with it, However, whatever pleases you, whatever you want, it's yours. And so since some of those, since the animals and stuff were the Lord's, it pleased him, to have them slaughtered as a blood sacrifice, you know, for atonement of sins. Uh, they would do different things with the different offerings, whatever pleased the Lord, whatever he instructed them to do. But the bottom line is they're saying, like, even though we want to be identified by these possessions and stuff, we recognize that this, it's not ours, it's, it's yours, and it's yours to do with it however you want. So when Paul says this, he says, your body is the sacrifice. You present your body... Not a, You don't present a goat. You don't present grain. You present your body as a living sacrifice. You just literally just lay down on that altar. And it's not just a, a physical thing. In the original language, when it talks about your body, it's, it, this is a holistic description here. So we're talking mind. We're talking our physical bodies. We're talking about our emotions. We're talking about our will. We're talking about everything about us is laying on this altar, fully alive and fully capable of crawling off of it, but we're intentionally presenting ourselves. We're saying, I'm, I'm here. And in the New Testament, it's supposed to flip that switch because now basically just like with the goat and just like with the grain, we're laying on the altar saying, my life is not mine. My life is yours. And you can do with it whatever you want. Paul's saying, in light of the gospel, lay your life down before the Lord. And say, whatever. I'm yours. Do what you will. Now, we don't do that. I go back to saying this is not a formula. We don't do that in order to become holy and acceptable, like it says. Because in the Old Testament, you didn't bring like your worst goat. You brought the best, pure goat you had. The best animal, there could be no impurity in it, no defect in it. You didn't bring the grain that had been sitting in the field for a while and after everybody was like so sick of eating grain or whatever you did with grain. Uh, you're like, oh man, okay, now let's bring our sacrifice. Now we're all kind of getting tired of it. No, no, no. You bring the, the, you bring the first bit. If you, ever, if you grew up in any, any sort of agricultural home or if you had grandparents who had gardens and stuff, like you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And those, like those first like butter beans that come off the vine, nothing like them. You bring the first fruit to the Lord. You bring the best animal to the Lord. It had to be holy, and it had to be acceptable. Flip over to the New Testament idea. Jesus has made us holy and acceptable. Okay, So we don't lay down on the altar so that he now accepts us. It doesn't, that's, you're, we're going the wrong way with our logic. You don't lay down that altar and be like, please, please find me acceptable and holy now. No. We already are holy and acceptable because of what Jesus has done. He lives inside of us. He doesn't dwell in, uh, in, in anything that is unholy. He has removed our heart of stone, giving us, giving us a heart of flesh. We have a new name. We have a new identity. Everything about us is pure, acceptable, and holy, and so because of who we are, we lay down on the altar, not the other way around. This is, this is an identity-out issue, not the other way around. So a lot of times in churches, you know, the, the approach is, let's just change our behavior. Let's just do, these, do this, 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 and then God will be happy with you, and he'll bless you, and whatever, and it doesn't work that way. It works the other way. So it's not saying that there are no works involved, It's in our works, come from our identity. So because we are the holy and acceptable ones, we engage in spiritual acts of worship, which is laying our bodies, presenting our bodies to the Lord on the altar. Say we are a living sacrifice. We are yours. My life is yours. You do with it what you want. That's a tough thing. Especially because I heard this one time, I'll never forget it. The guy he said he said the hardest thing about being a living sacrifice is uh, the uh, the temptation to keep crawling off the altar. And that's it's so exhausting, isn't it? Because you come, I don't know, you go to like like a church service or a Bible study or a powerful time with the Lord, or you go to a conference. You go to just something and you're like so fired up and you're just like laying on that altar, you know? And you're just like oh, I'm all the Lord's, I'm all the Lord's, and then you get back home, and you're like, man. My back kind of hurts laying on this altar. It's not very comfortable. You kind of like slide down. And you, the and Lord, like, go back up. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's exhausting. But that's the thing about being alive is that he's, that's just a part of our discipleship and what the Lord has done in us and how he has chosen to interact with us is that ability uh, to do that. And Paul's saying, look in the light of the gospel, present, present your body. You're holy, you're acceptable. This is what the holy and acceptable saints do. So, if, if you're trying to figure out, you get this income tax return check and you're looking at it and you're like, man, what do I do with this? Well, ask yourself that Laying on an altar. So you're laying there, and you're like, man, you start to realize, like, this money is not mine. This money is the Lord's. Because it's part of my life. He's entrusted this to me, but it's truly really his. And so since my life is not my own, my life is his, and he can do with it what he wants, this money is his, and he can do with it what he wants. It's not mine. With the pattern of sin that you're in, in the second scenario, the pattern of sin that you're in, you're laying there on that, that altar... Uh, you start to realize, like, how self-centered that sinful pattern is, and that by engaging that sinful pattern, you're just, you're crawling off that altar all the time. You're saying no to what God's laying out here in the scriptures. When it comes to a major life decision, you realize as you lay as you it there on that altar, like, man, it's really not as as life or death as this decision seems. I mean, God has a will, but my life is his. And so since, since I'm his, why, why would he be a, bit, a bad steward of what is his? He would never be a bad steward of what is his. So whatever he wants me to do, it's going to be good, and he's going to equip me to do it and empower me to do it. and I just have to trust him, and so um, it's really going to be okay. And even though this is an important decision to make and there's a lot riding on it, uh, I'm good because I'm his. It's his life anyway. And so, just that first that part of that verse, if we take that literally, we're that's a game changer, you know. So, so then you go to verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, so that the second kind of component would be the renewal of the mind. There, uh, the the pattern there are patterns of thinking that exist in the world based on the flesh, based on, like, this thing called the world, which is kind of how everything works together. Uh, And then there's, like, the devil, you know? But there's this pattern of thinking, and really that whole pattern of thinking comes down to, like, just comes down to self all the time. So if you want to reduce the way the world works, the world just comes down to, like, what's best for me? How can I be... Rich and successful and happy and blah, 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 How How can I be number one, basically? And so this ne- second component is, is saying, okay, that's the pattern of the world. You need to be renewed in the way that you think. The way that you think will transform your life. So, uh, you know, a lot of times we, like I said earlier, we go right to behavior, but behavior comes from how we think. Um, emotional stuff comes from how we think. And so the problem problem really comes down to, like, wrong thought patterns. So this part of this verse is really just saying we need the Spirit of God to teach us the right way to think. So don't conform to those patterns of thinking. Let the Holy Spirit teach you how to think like the king and the kingdom. That's it. Just that simple. And as, as that's happening, as we're being renewed in how we think, our lives are transformed because from, from Holy Spirit thinking comes behavior, like a saint. It comes emotional wellness, like a saint. and It comes all from all this other stuff. So as you have presented your body as a living sacrifice, and you're in that mindset of, it's not my life, it's your life, to do with whatever you want... You're also saying, Spirit, will you teach me how to think? I know how the world thinks about this situation. I know how the world thinks about this income tax check. I know how the world thinks about this sinful pattern. I know what the world thinks I should do in this big decision I have to make. I understand all that, but I don't want to conform to that. I want to, I want to know how the king thinks. I want to know how they, what the kingdom looks like in this. And so how is the mind renewed? Well, I mean, it's not all steps, again, but here's some pretty important components. One, you got to ask him. You just ask him. As you're laying there on that altar with the right heart set and mindset, you're laying there and you're thinking, Lord, will you show me what the kingdom looks like? How does this check fit into the kingdom? How does this sinful pattern, like what's the way out of it? And, like, What would the king do? How would the king lead me in this? What does the kingdom look like in this decision? And you ask him. So basically you pray. That renews the mind when we're asking. Coming right right beside that, in partnership with that, that, is that we read. You read the scriptures. You read what God has to say to us through the word, because the Spirit meets us in the text, right? The Spirit uses scriptures to to teach, to warn, to build up, to train in righteousness. So we let him do that. We get in the word and say, what 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 do the scriptures have to say about this? What do the scriptures have to say about stewardship? You start to read that stuff. Stewardship, not just in in relation to, like, uh, like, should we be spenders or savers? Not just like that, but like, how does how do finances and, like, kingdom purposes connect? In the sin, sinful patterns, you go to the Scriptures and you say, where, where in the Bible does something like this, do I see something like this? Or what are the, how can the Scriptures teach me how to handle this? Even in the big decision to make, you say, what does it say in the Scriptures about this? You seek that out. So we ask Him th- in prayer, we read the Scriptures um, and the third thing, really, is you just listen. You listen to what he's saying. You say, "Well, I ask him, and I didn't hear anything." Well, how many times did you ask? Once? Okay. Well, guess what? Ask. Try twice. Double your efforts and see what happens. You know. But we ask him, and we read in the scriptures, and we listen, and we're if if our if our deal is is we're asking the Spirit like. Will you renew my mind? Will you transform my life through the renewal of my mind and help me to break free from the patterns of the world around me? And I, just, I want to know what, what you think, what you would do, what your scriptures say. That's what I want to know. If you're saying that and you're laying on that altar and you're really saying it's not my life, I just want to see what you have to do, um, that, those two components together, that's some rock-solid stuff. And I believe that, that that kind of heart set and mindset, um, and that's game-changing, right? Game-changing. So um, I wrote this down. I said this in community group a while back, and it's kind of been something I've found myself thinking to myself a lot. Is okay, in this situation, am I... Uh, Am I thinking like a saved person or a lost person? Am I looking at this income tax check like a saved person or a lost person? You know, Am I looking at this sin pattern like a saved person or a lost person? Am I making this decision based on a pattern of the world or, or the pattern of the kingdom? That, I don't know, that's been really good for me. So do that, that what you will. So let's say that the, those things have, have been happening. Look at the, the, the thought flow of the text. Do not, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? That By testing. Okay? Now, what, is that, what does that look like? All right? So you're, you're on the altar. My life is yours. It's not mine. Do with it what you want. You're asking him to show you through prayer, through the scriptures, and you're listening, saying, how do I think about this? Renew my mind how I think. And let's say that, that you've been doing those, those things, like that's been a part of your process in this. And you kind of get a sense, you're like, okay, I think I kind of have some direction on this, all right? So, yeah, you have a sense of what you think he wants you to do with that money, or about getting out of that sin, sinful pattern, or in the decision that you're trying to make, whatever that is, you kind of are like, okay, I think that, I think this might be what he's telling me, all right? Then you test it because these things are, like, this is important. Like, you don't want to, like, just with great haste pull the trigger on something, right? Like, you want to you test it. So what, is, so what does that look like? A uh, couple of thoughts. One, one I, I think, I think it's just is shalom, you know, it's peace, I think this is... You need to be real careful with it because sometimes we think that peace feels good. Peace doesn't always feel good. All right? I don't know that when God told Abraham uh, any of those things that he told him, that he was like, man, I just had such a good feeling. Sometimes peace puts a knot in your stomach. Okay? So peace is not emotional. Peace is what happens when... When our spirit is at unity with the Lords, you know, if you've ever been to uh, been to a concert like of an orchestra or some some sort of you know anything like that, everybody's like the orchestra's like making all kind of noise, you know, kind of warming up or whatever. And there comes a point where uh, the depends on what the group is, but someone stands up and plays a, a tuning note then the whole rest of the orchestra, like, they they play the same note, and they're trying to line up with that note, because everybody needs to be, like, tuning to the same, like, the same exact thing, and even if that person is a little bit off, then then everybody goes a little bit off, right, but you want to be, you want to look at that, the pitch that they are playing, and the entire orchestra is based off of that one thing. And that determines the, the tuning of the whole rest of the performance. And so shalom, it's, it's that, that unity. It's God saying, this is what I want. And when we are saying, that's also what I want, then, then, then like the frequencies like line up, and it's just this like perfect, perfect deal. That's not always emotionally awesome. Sometimes, like I said, it's nerve-wracking. So I think peace is one way that you test it. And so sometimes when someone's talking to me and they say, like, this is, I'm not really sure what I should do, but I think this is what the Lord's want me to do, then I start to ask them, okay, well, like, let's, say, let's say that you have, you have pulled the trigger on that decision. You said, this is what I'm going to do. How, how, how much peace is there by saying that out loud? You know? how, is that resonating with like, the Spirit of the Lord, or is there some sort of dissonance there? So I think peace is a part of how we test it, but but peace should not be the only way that we test because peace sometimes is kind of hard to discern. So I think I think that that another element of testing needs to be like needs to be involving your community that you trust. So you sit down with someone and maybe you've already brought them in; they've already been praying for you about this or something. But you sit down with them and you're like, okay. Now, this is like you want someone, you want a godly, a godly person, not someone who'll just appease you, okay? That's this is not what we need, okay? If, you, if you're trying to figure out, like, are we supposed to get married or not, then you know the people you should not ask. And you know the people who will ask you the tough questions. Those are the ones you need to go to prayerful, godly, discerning people. And you need to go to them and sit down and say, this is what's going on. I'm trying to figure out, trying to discern God's will in this, this situation. And this is what I think. And you let them just, like, pelt you with questions. And if we are going to be a responsible community of faith, all right, we're going to go back to uh, living sacrifice questions, all right? We're going to go to renewal of the mind questions. We're going to be asking, asking those people who are seeking our wisdom, how much have you prayed about this? How long have you prayed about it? If you've been praying about this for, like, you know, two days, then we probably need to meet in a couple weeks because this decision is huge, okay? Okay. Um, we need to we need to ask them that stuff. We need to ask them, um, and and ask ourselves: How much is the fear of man and the approval of man factoring into into what we sense is going on here? You know, um, how much how much is this going to be living by faith versus living by sight? Uh, how much prayer? Where in the scriptures have you been? Has he been leading you to teach you? We need to ask those things. Those are all, these are all ways that, that we test what's going on. Um, the, uh, we, we also we keep asking and we keep reading. And I think our reading goes from specific stuff to just being like, okay, this is what I feel like, this is what I sense the Lord's leading me to do. Is this consistent with who God is? Is this consistent with the gospel? Is this consistent with identity? Is this is this. Me living by faith or am I just defaulting to sight because I'm so afraid of what living by faith would look like? We test it. And then as we let the Spirit process through all those things, there comes a point where we will be able to discern the will of God. Will. There's a time where you're like, Okay, this this is it. And and it's time to make that decision. This is what I'm supposed to do with this money. This is what I'm supposed to do uh, about this sinful pattern. This is what I'm supposed to do in this major decision in my life. Um, discerning the will of God is always going to be a step of faith. So even though we have tremendous confidence okay, by the time we, we really process this well with the Lord, uh, don't think that there will be no faith required in it. It's always going to be a step of faith. And to me, I look at this, and I've studied through this this week, and it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? If you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice, and you've been seeking him and asking him to renew your mind, teach you how to think, you have tested what you have sensed he's doing, you've sought wisdom uh, from your community, like he tells us to do, you've sought him first, you've done all these things, of course you would be able to come down and say, this is what God wants me to do. And then you just got to do it. You live by faith, not by sight. And so Abraham, he packed up and went. You know, Megan Boudreaux packed up and moved. Bean and Matilda opened up hope of life. A bunch of college, college students in January 2000 said, we're going to plant a church. And all around this room, there's examples of people who said, this is what God wants us to do, and we're going to do that. We're going to trust him. We haven't made these decisions flippantly. We've sought the Lord, and in His goodness, He's led us. You know, sometimes you don't, you don't have weeks to make decisions. Sometimes you've got to know right now, what is God's will in this situation? And something I've learned in, in ministry is that every time I check my email, there's no telling what's going to pop up. When that phone rings, it could be anything. The last couple of weeks, there have been some doozies. And I haven't had time to be like, well, I need to, like, let me go do the living, let me go, let me sacrifice and renew the mind and test it. Give me a couple of days to figure out how to handle this suicide threat. I don't say that flippantly, I mean, like, seriously. Give me a couple of days, I'll get back to you and figure out how to do this. Some decisions, the Lord grants us a lot of time to process it and all that, and we need to be faithful with that. There are times when you've got to know right now. And so really, if you want to know the, the will of God, come down to one word, it would be abide. We have to be abiding. When we are abiding, it's It's there. Because when you're abiding, you're, you're already presented as a living sacrifice, your mind is already being renewed, and you're constantly testing the th- these things. And so, when it comes along, if that's where you are, if, that's, if these verses are just a picture of your life, of what your heart set, your mindset looks like, then um, when a situation comes you have to make a decision, you're also able to discern, okay, is this a three-week decision or is this a three-second decision? And so the importance of walking faithfully with Jesus, uh, if we really want to care for those around us, and be ready to go. Okay, we, we, can't, we can't get revved up and crawl on that altar all the time. We, we have to just set up camp there, which is what abide actually means. So if we abide in Christ, living sacrifice on the altar, and that's where we just never never move away from it, then we're, we're ready, whether it's a three-second decision or a three-week decision. All this really comes down to do, do you and I, do we believe, what Psalm 23 says, that he will lead us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake, or not? Do you believe that he loves you and has a, a will and a plan for your life? Do you believe that he is good and does good? And if so, we should we should just bring everything to him. We should just always be in that place where we want to know, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so I hope that in In trying to figure out is it his voice or my voice that maybe maybe this text and the spirit will use this text and everything to help a little bit, so uh yeah, let's pray well we know that you uh you haven't given up on us, and that you are our shepherd, so we uh, we will have no needs, no wants. You lead us beside still waters into green pastures. You restore us. You protect us with your faithfulness and your strength. You pursue us with goodness and mercy. You meet our every need. And you will do so until the day we go to be with you. And so I pray that you would encourage those tonight who are struggling, frustrated, just trying to be faithful and obedient to you, that you just encourage them to not give up. That you bring hope back into the picture for them and for all of us, we just we want to live fully obedient to you, and uh, and so maybe as we close tonight, just by responding a little bit, that this will be a way for us to, um, yeah, to make sure that we are presenting our bodies to you as living sacrifices that that's really what we believe, what we want, and that we're trusting you with every step. So as we sing, I pray these will be more than songs, but but prayers, expressions of trust and faith um, in you and who you are. We love you. Let's stand